This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Thank you so much for listening. I learn a ton from doing this podcast, and I know you do too. If you'd like to support me in this, you can become a patron through Patreon, and that would mean the world to me. You can support me for as little as a dollar a month, but anyone who supports me for $5 a month or more will get the Transformative Principle Members Only feed, which releases the interviews as I record them rather than on a weekly schedule. If you've binge listened to any of the past episodes of this podcast, this is for you. And I know you're going to love it. So you're going to learn as quickly as I learn. And I thank you for supporting me. To become a patron, just go to transformativeprinciple.org. And on the right-hand side, there'll be a little button that says become a patron. You can click on that and support me. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome to Transformative Principle, episode 202. Can you believe that? Wow. If you haven't yet, go to transformativeprinciple.org slash 200-stickers. That's the number 200-stickers, and you can get a very cool vinyl transformative principle sticker. I mean, how cool is that? So this is a great interview with Michael Horn, a co-author of Blended, and I invited him to be on the podcast because my teachers are doing a book study about his book. And so most of my questions were for the benefit of my teachers and myself. And well, really all my questions are always for the benefit of what I'm currently working on and interested in. And that's the beauty of this is you're getting a real life look into the things that I'm working on and working for. So I hope you enjoy this. Thank you so much for listening and do me a favor, share this with someone who is interested in blended or personalized learning. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited to have on the podcast today, Michael Horn, who is the author of Blended and Disrupting Schools or Disrupting Class. I can't remember. I knew I was going to miss that up as soon as I started talking, Michael. Thanks for being on the podcast. I'm sorry for messing up your book titles. No, no, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you are also the co-founder of the uh, Clayton Christensen Institute. Can you tell us a little bit what that is? Absolutely, yeah. I, I co-founded it uh, about, gosh, 10 years, a little over 10 years ago. Uh, it is a nonprofit think tank that applies uh, the theories of disruptive innovation uh, that Clayton Christensen, a professor at the Harvard Business School, uh, has pioneered and, and founded. And it's not just disruptive innovation theory now, it's probably 20 to 30 theories that have been sort of tried and tested in a variety of settings. To And our purpose in doing it was to help uh, people grappling with large societal challenges uh, to help them innovate and, and improve the lives of those that they were serving. And so 
Uh, I, I led the education practice for, for just under a decade. Uh, we also have some work in healthcare and uh, trying to support uh, developing countries as well. That's awesome and very varied and uh, wide ranging. And so tell me a little bit about your focus on education and and why you uh, are focusing on that. Yeah, so my life mission at, at this point is is to try to uh, create educational options that allow every single student to build their passion and fulfill their potential. And so when we looked at the education system in 2006, when I started collaborating uh, with Professor Christensen, we saw an education system that was modeled after factories to standardize the way we teach and test, which contrasts directly with the fact that we all learn at different paces, have different needs, different interests, and so forth. And, and we need to be able to personalize or customize for those differences if we're really to truly unlock every single student's full potential. So my work and, and the Christensen Institute while I was there has been around how do we help transform our education system uh, to be able to realize that for, for every single student. Yeah, you know, that that sounds really great in theory, and yet there are some challenges to changing a monolithic system that has been around for over a hundred years and is very powerful in the way that it does things. What are some of the biggest challenges that you see to, to changing that big system? Yeah. So it, it's interesting. The challenges to changing that big system are in many ways, no different from the challenges of changing any very long established, highly successful uh, system. Uh, and, and that could be a business enterprise, say like an IBM or something. It could be, uh, the healthcare system. It could be uh, an individual hospital that is, you know, operated in the community for decades and decades. Basically, what what happens is an organization year after year after year follows certain processes and priorities and patterns of working together. Th these things become ingrained in culture and sort of. Uh, almost like groove marks on the factory floor that that just say like, hey, when you have this sort of a problem, this teacher solves it in this way and it interacts with these teachers in this way and interacts with the administration in this way. And you get really good at the thing that you've been good at doing at and everything around the organization optimizes around that. So not just the operations of the building, but policy optimizes around that. The way textbooks and, and curricular materials get adopted optimizes around that. The way you even communicate with parents, the way grading works, the way testing works, literally everything, contracts with everyone literally optimize around the way things have always been done. And so when you go in there and you say, we're going to transform this, you're working against a lot of processes and priorities, some of which are codified, many of which are just naturally there that you're trying to uh, change. And so if you're, if you're looking for, a, some people say, a revolution, not just an evolution, it's really, really hard work. And you're, and you're working against a, a lot that's sort of stacked against you. And in many ways, I, I think we were lucky when we chose to wrote the, write the book because and we could talk more about it in a moment, but we saw a disruptive innovation coming along around then that, that gives some promise to change that. Even despite that, I still think we're talking at least a generation, uh, a generational change here. This isn't an overnight thing and, and we shouldn't think it's an overnight fix. Yeah. I, adding that piece right at the end, Michael, really helps me feel better about things because I feel like I've been 
banging my head against the wall, trying to change education my whole career just in my classroom and in my individual school. And I feel like every time I do, I'm just running up against these barriers that are just almost insurmountable, you know, and, and that makes it very difficult for, for me to want to keep going sometimes, but also to, to know that there is hope. So what is your advice to someone like me who's trying to change it from the inside? And is that a good place to be? Or should do we need more people on the outside, pushing it to change in other ways? Yeah, so I think we need both is the real answer. And and a really important thing, as you noted in, the, in, the, in your intro, um, the book was called Disrupting Class, because as we studied the problem, at least in the United States context, we came to the pretty firm conclusion that we're not going to see schools disappear uh, or, or uh, go away in any way, shape or form, or even, you know, competitive threats like charter schools. We, we don't think that they're going to supplant the dominant district system in the, in the vast majority of the country and instead really disrupting class. So the way that the classroom operates within a school is where the dominant transformation is going to come from. And, and to do that, you certainly need external pressure and ideas and, and, and things going on, but you also need leaders within the system, principals, primarily uh, teacher leaders, superintendents who have the vision to say there's a better way to do things. And, and I think it's been pretty clear in our studies of disruptive innovation that these things are not automatic, that if you're hoping for an organization to change itself, the one constant that you need there is great leadership. Uh, you just you don't pull it off if you don't have a great leader really pulling, setting the vision, using the right tools at the right time to prod people and spending a lot of time focused on the new thing that will over time supplant the old. And, and that's a and it's because there's so many forces arrayed, as you were just talking, right, to sort of shoot down the new and try to kill it in its infancy. And so that's why leaders who are shepherding it are, are, are really just so critical to protect that fledgling innovation and help grow it and improve it over time. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about that, that idea that, and what it sounds like you're saying is that it's not that people are intentionally trying to shoot it down. It's just that any organism that is created, you know, seeks to perpetuate its life. And so a, anything that's innovative or disruptive then is seen as a threat and those systems try to to take it down so for example in my new district there are cuz i just moved here other people know that but you might not know that michael in my new district there are there are these things in place that seem like a a really good idea but as we're trying to implement personalized learning you know there's whole sections of our board policy that we essentially have to violate in order to implement personalized learning. And so having those systems in place just really highlights the fact that there, there really are so many forces that are just trying to shoot down the new or innovative. Yeah. How do we combat those things as they arise? And you mentioned leadership, and I get that that's a part of it, but give us some practical ways that we can combat those. Totally, totally. So, so first, let me just like reinforce what you said, which is that People are not trying to be obstructionist because they're bad people. Uh, they're doing so because it logically makes sense in the system that they've always been in and for the exact reasons you described. And I always like to say there are not stupid people. There are people in stupid systems. <laughs> and just one more clarification, which is that the education system that we have now 
we should acknowledge and celebrate that it was a fantastic success for the late 19th and, and 20th century. Uh, it, it really was, you know, in, in terms of creating a system that could uh, mass educate the entire population and get them the education that they needed to live a vibrant, both economically and civically life in this country was a miracle. The challenge, of course, is that our, uh, you know, because of uh, the transition to a knowledge economy and globalization uh, and so forth and, and technological unemployment and everything else that's coming down the pike, we need a very different system to match a very different era. Uh, and so that's, I think that's a bit, bit of the tug and pull. And it's not that this new system we're creating would have been inappropriate for the old. It just, it probably wouldn't have been possible uh, at, at any cost that we could have afforded. Uh, but, but now we have tools available that, that allow it to be so. So now I'll get to your question now that you actually asked, but I, I just thought it was worth forcing that. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> so in terms of your question, it's a really tricky one, right? And, and so I think the work that you're doing where you identify specific policies or practices that get in the way of the new, either explicitly or implicitly, and literally do two things. One, I think leaders have to give very clear permission of what is on and off the table in terms of you're allowed to violate. And so upfront, sort of giving a, a, a pass to those who are innovating and saying, you're allowed to do anything as long as it doesn't put students in harm's way, right, and threaten them in some way. And as long as you're focused on getting these sorts of outcomes, right, like this is what we're trying to do from the innovation. Anything else that we have in our system in terms of how procurement works, in terms of how we do grading, in terms of how we do attendance, wh whatever it might be, right, is on the table for you, you have a waiver to go around it. The second piece of that, though, is that as you're going around these policies that exist, you're bound to hear about them because someone's going to say, uh oh, you were supposed to go, you know, talk to so and so to get your code to be able to purchase X, Y, and Z before you did, you know, this with your students. And so I think the key is to very aggressively and clearly document every single policy or practice uh, that is at odds with what has been on the books so that you can very clearly then go back and have a conversation, a political conversation, right, about what do we want to change here to enable this, in, this new innovation. And I think just that systematic documentation is something that not a lot of places have done. And it's really important. I'll, I'll give you one more example. Uh, Competency-based or mastery-based learning is something people are very excited about as you move into this personalizing world. The, the notion that uh, students should master something before they move on, not, not based on the time of year. And that mandates a bunch of policies that move beyond seat time, in effect, which is how schools have always been funded. So well-meaning legislators in, in many states will pass policies that say Carnegie units no longer apply. You can do competency-based learning. And that's great. And we should applaud that. But it's almost certainly that all these other policies and board procedures and things we just never thought about as having a time element that contrasts with competency-based learning are going to rise up as you try to make that shift. And you're going to all of a sudden realize, oh, that's an issue we have to deal with. And so documenting it very clearly and then having a conversation on a regular basis about what needs to change for the new uh, is really important. And, and the last thing I would say is, you know, for whoever is still operating in the quote-unquote old system, you don't have to change that policy for them. Don't force them out of their comfort zone before you're ready to move them into the new because 
the really important thing to remember is the policies that are around are logical for the system that they're in. They're just not logical for the new system that you're building. And so, so really going beyond a one-size-fits-all mentality, not just in how we educate our students, but in how uh, we, we govern our schools is really important as we, as we make these transitions. Yeah, I, I'm laughing because it, it sounds like we have to personalize our processes for our adults as well. And adults as, you know, educators really struggle with that because we want everything to be exactly the same. And so as a principal, how do I effectively communicate to my teachers and my staff that some of them get to break the rules and others don't get to break the rules because that is a is a challenging part of of what it sounds like you're saying. And if I misinterpreted, please correct me. No, not at all. I mean, so there's a terrific book called The Dual Transformation that recently came out uh, that really talks through how an organization that is trying to uh, effectively ambidextrous. They they call it uh, managing transformation A, so meaning trying to continue to improve what you've always done, and transformation B, trying to implement something new uh, that that is going to be disruptive or, or you know dramatically revolutionary to the existing organization. How you manage that process and, and what they talk a lot about is again the leader's time really needs to be on the transformation B, the radical new thing that you're doing so that you can shepherd, so that you can explain, so that you can make it make sense to those who are in the A world about why you're doing this. And at the same time, helping the people in the A world understand why what they're doing is actually critical to the success of the B world. Because if you if you stop doing, you know, um, say you're trying to move all your math classes to blended learning first, and you're going to deal with social studies later, as an example, you know, those folks in social studies are, are carrying out a very important function of keeping some sanity and understanding for the community as you're making a very hard transition. Uh, from a policy perspective and an accountability perspective, they're also playing a really important role. Uh, and so trying to help both sides understand why they're both still important to the critical success of the schools for students is important so you're not undermining them but saying, hey, we're going to be living by some different rules while we make this, and it's going to feel uncomfortable sometimes. And whenever it is, bring it up to me uh, as the leader so that I can help us navigate and find a sensible solution going forward. Yeah, that is that is a fascinating approach. And I think that it's it's the right approach. And, and what I've tried to do is never put a, a limit on a top end limit on my teachers so that they can go as far as fast as deep as they want to when they're ready to and then as the leader in the school making sure that everybody's getting those those basic underlying uh fundamentals in place so that you know we can go slow as a school but any number of teachers could go fast and leave us all in the dust. And does that sound like it's fitting into that dual transformation that you're talking about? Yeah. And I love the way you just said it. Go slow as a school to go fast as individual teachers. And it reminds me also of what I always tell my kids, right? When we're doing something new, I always say that we go slow to go fast, right? Um, and so I think that's a, uh, I love the way you just uh, painted it. And And here's the other thing. You're going to get a few things wrong in the new as you do it, right? And so to flip a switch and turn the entire school over to it tomorrow would not be wise. You actually want to have a thoughtful process as you grow, iterate, evolve, 
your understanding of what that new should look like, right? I, you know, you can read one of my books and say, oh, he's got all the answers and the vision and blah, blah, blah. And the only thing you'll be right is I do have a vision, but I'm pretty sure I'm wrong in the details. <laughs> um, and once you start to <laughs> yeah. interact with the messy world of kids and parents and what we're trying to prepare them for, which in many cases we don't fully understand, you know, you're, you're going to some humility and some uh, attention to details on the ground are going to be important. Yeah, I think that, that that point is is really important. We can't possibly know all the details right this minute. And that is really scary for a lot of educators because they want the details and they want to know what is right. And typically they were good students in school. And so they they want to be good teachers in school as well. And so I have found that that struggle of not having all the details is is a big barrier to their success because they're they want to have all the details before they take a step forward. How do we encourage teachers to to dip their toes in the water when we don't have all the details? And I can't give the perfect answer of what it actually looks like. Yeah, so two things that that I think are important. One, I think showing and and having them talk to teachers and seeing teachers in practice who've done it elsewhere is, is really important. I think sometimes folks like me who've seen this, you know, for 10 years now or whatever, sometimes they're like, really, you need to see it again. But I think the answer is yes, you do, because you're making a leap of faith and you want to know that it, you know, it'll quote unquote work. And so being able to nothing, you know, nothing sort of proves it is being able to see it in action and being able to talk to another teacher. The second thing that I think is that on your, in any school, there are certain teachers who may already be doing some of this, may have an inclination to do some of this, may want to try something new that, you know, they're innovators that really want to go for it. And so starting with them, a coalition of the willing makes a ton of sense. And for those teachers who really think like, yeah, this could be interesting, but I'm really nervous and I just, I don't know where to get started and whatever else, let them wait, right? Let them wait a little bit and really allow those who are the coalition of the willing, so to speak, to, to do it first, uh, work out a lot of those details and then become the exemplars within your building to those teachers who are maybe a little bit more scared to, to, to dive into the deep end. And, you know, of course, at some point it, you come to a place where you say, no, 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 this is now the way we teach and learn uh, in, in this building. And, and there's not a choice around that matter. But, you know, for a couple of years there, I think having different tracks and creating exemplars uh, that work out a lot of those details in your building makes a lot of sense. When I think about that, I think about the going slow to go fast is important, but also how, you know, everything just takes time um, to change. And so often we want to, to have things happen right now, you know, (laughs) and my challenge with that is, is I am a, a man of action. I like to do things and get things done and to implement new ideas and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I constantly have to tell myself to be patient and wait and go slow and, you know, pause. And so, you know, many times I've thought, well, maybe I should go be a principal of a charter school or start a charter school because then I can just do the change then. But then as I look at charter schools, they're still doing a lot of the same things in that we're doing in regular education. They just call themselves something different. And so the system is bigger even than charter schools and districts. It's it's an education system that is going to take just a long time to change, which I'm not very excited about because I want it right now, you know? <laughs> so 
No, I mean, so that's right. I, I have a goal, you know, uh, as my kids go to the public schools here where I live in Massachusetts to help them change as well. But but I think it's interesting just as you were talking about that desire to have change happen so quickly and, and see action and see results. I, I know in your district, you, you all are working with education elements. I, I think one of the things that they do really well is create uh, sort of a project plan, right, with a lot of milestones and, and timeline and things that you'll see change over the arc of a year or five years or, you know, whatever whatever the scope of change is, so that even if not everything um, turns over at the snap of your fingers tomorrow, that you're constantly seeing progress, you're constantly moving toward goals, you're constantly hitting milestones, and you may not know all the details that are supposed to happen in between those milestones. You may be making some of that up, uh, but at least you know sort of where you're orienting toward, and gives you as a staff, I think, a lot of opportunities to celebrate wins along the journey uh, so that you both keep that feeling of progress and you're not doing things so fast that you're going to descend into chaos that you regret. Well, that was a great interview with Michael Horn, and I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we are going to talk about uh, my four-year plan for my school and how to start making some changes. And especially, he talks about what the narrative arc for the school is and how we define that and what we want that to look like as leaders. So thank you so much for listening to this, and I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Transformative Principles is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE.